This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is... The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. I am here. I am live. I am with you. I am sorry that uh, yesterday I was, I was out. It was, uh, it was a rough one. Um, I, for whatever reason, came down with a, the kind of headache that I would not wish upon my worst enemy. Uh, a few hours in the morning, up in an IV bag, various uh, shots to try to dull the pain. Actual, like, you know, shots. Um, and they got it down to a place where today I'm, I'm sort of in migraine hangover, but uh, I'm functional. I'm here. I'm good. If I start speaking gibberish or something at some point, don't worry. Somebody will find me and take me to the proper place to recuperate. I'll be all right. Um, but I, I missed being with all of you yesterday. It is Freestyle Friday. I'm hoping to have the usual energy, the usual ebullient view of the world and life that I give you on a Freestyle Friday. Uh, and I, I can tell you, it's one of those things that my, particularly my dad would say when I was growing up, you know, when you have your health, you have a lot because when you don't have, you know, when you're really out of it, man, oof, it's bad. It's uh, it's a bad thing. So I hope you're all very healthy and well today. And those of you who aren't feeling a hundred percent get well soon. Cause trust me, I know what it's like to be completely knocked for a loop. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you. Of course, uh, it's the, the best part of my day every day. And I think yesterday was the first time I called out sick. I don't know, in, in a long time. It might have been the first time this year, actually. So there we have it. Freestyle Friday is upon us. Um, the phone lines are open. I- I'm definitely going to want some backup from the team today because I'm not. Yesterday, my eyes hurt so much that I-, I couldn't spend the usual hours and hours reading and thinking and reading and thinking. I had to sort of just sit in a dark room with the, you know, with the shades drawn and and not watch TV and not really read. So. Uh, I've been reading in this morning, but anything you want to share, anything we missed yesterday you think is important, uh, by all means, we can hit it, and I think we should. So we might even talk about some movies. I do dare any of you. How about this? I'll put it out there right now. Challenge accepted. Call in with a great action movie quote and see if I can name it or not on the spot. I will say, though, the only the exceptions here, uh, first of all, it can't just be aligned. Don't, like, don't go into scripts.com or something and you know go to page 63 of i i don't know 
you know, Rocky three and give me like some dialogue from that. No, no, it needs to be a, 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 a great and memorable line of which there are so many, you know, I, I could sit here all day. Uh, I'll be back, let off some steam Bennett, uh, to win a war, you have to become war. I mean, there's we, we, we could do this all day, everybody. But anyone calling in, if you want to just throw one out there, as well as asking me whatever question comes to your mind, let's do it. Let's let's get the party. Uh, let's get the party started. So 888-900-3393 is the number on the phone lines. So we've been talking here quite uh, quite a bit about the sore loser uh, spasms that have been overtaking much of the Democratic Party in the wake of Donald Trump's victory, right? This is something we've been discussing. This is all over the place, whether it's protesters, people in the media. they And they haven't... Re- I thought they'd kind of get it out of their system by now. And what we see is they really haven't. They actually haven't managed to completely rid themselves of this. It's it's not gone. Uh in fact, I think in some ways it's getting worse as we get closer to a Trump, an actual Trump presidency, when he goes from POTUS to POTUS. You saw this forum. It's like the main news story across the country today. Uh, and you saw this forum of various campaign strategists, top strategists in the Clinton and Trump campaigns. Uh, they're up at Harvard. Do you think, well, they're at Harvard? Which, by the way, any of you who went there, I'm telling you right now, you're not allowed to say I went to school in Boston, okay? Or, or, or even worse, I went to school in Cambridge. No. Just say you went to Harvard. It's okay. A lot of people have gone there. Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not as impressive as you think it will be to people. Normal people say when they're asked where they go to school, what the school was. They don't say I went to college in Boston. Because we all know what you, you know. It's not like you're saying I went to college in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's like, well... Interesting. Which one was that? You know, it's it's not a conversation starter. We all know what you're saying when you do the. I went to college in Boston or Cambridge, whatever. The people say it both ways. Technically, it's Cambridge. Although, come on. So uh, they're up at Harvard. So you think that maybe, maybe there would be a greater degree of decorum. There'd be some more respect for their adversaries. There'd be some sense that you know they could uh, be professionals. If you thought that, though, you would unfortunately be mistaken this is some audio with kellyanne conway who is of course the trump uh messaging maestro what's the what's the feminine of maestro by the way maestra is that right that must be right ty anything uh bueller no yeah no idea i don't know either uh so kellyanne conway gets into it with joel benenson at this harvard forum let's hear what they had to say Listen, you guys won. That's clear. You won the Electoral College. That's, That's the currency. That was let's the fight, also right? be honest. Don't act as if you have some popular mandate for your message. And, Tony, we'll talk about the wrong track number again like you and I just did. The fact of the matter is is that more Americans voted for Hillary Clinton than Donald Trump. So let's put it in total context. And there was nothing context. that said the road to popular vote anywhere is Kellyanne, I'm not. I That's started. I premised my statement by saying that. But you can't. Hey, guys, we won. You don't have to respond. Okay, I mean, seriously. No. Hold on. What? 
why is there no mandate? You've lost 60 congressional seats since President Obama got there. You got lost more than a dozen senators, a dozen governors, 1,000 state legislators. about this election, No, no, you Kelly said there's Ann. no mandate. You said there's no mandate. You just reelected a guy who represents liberal New York and a woman who represents San Francisco as your as your leaders. You learned nothing from this election about Tim Ryan's Mahoning County. You learned nothing about his congressional district. You're not even trying to connect with the white working class voters who we just won. That is absolutely not true. Okay, then why is Nancy right? Pelosi rewarded for her failure? Look, I started off by saying that people wanted to shake up Washington. I'm not going to sit here and de- I'm not going to have a debate about candidate. Washington. He was let's the have, better candidate. That's how he won. Let's have a debate. Well, no, actually, let's not. actually let's just two and a half chill. million let's more Americans thought she was a better candidate. Oh, We're going to okay. talk. Keep talking okay. about the pot. Wait. Yeah. I'm sorry. If you want to go back to the no, wrong track actually, number. No, I don't. Okay. I just yeah, want to go back yeah, to the 270 or the 306 that we won, because that's how you win the presidency. And we did it. Kellyanne gets in there, mixes it up. I got to give her credit. She's she's pretty good. You know, she's feisty. I like it. Uh, this notion of the popular that they, they keep hitting this, they keep going to this. Isn't it fascinating that without the presidency, the Democrats have realized they're they're way out of power. They've gotten used to this sort of imperial presidency with Obama, and that's all they needed. And that really did. Obama, from the White House, cast a shadow over the rest of government that was incredibly potent. It was very powerful, even when Republicans had the House and the Senate. And they got used to it. And now it's like they're, you know, it's like they've been told that, they're living in a new reality, and they're just in denial. This notion that the popular vote is so important, who cares? It's not about the popular We all know this. It's not about the popular vote. It does not. It just does not matter. The same way that, you know, in some countries, I think Brazil is one, although don't quote me on that, because I've got a migraine hangover. and Not a hangover, everybody, by the way. I wish. I wish I had earned this. At least then I would have, you know, gotten something and said I just paid a price for no reason. Uh, but I think Brazil is a country where you ha- you're like legally obligated to vote. I'm, I'm pretty sure there there are some countries where you're where you have to vote. It's like otherwise you get a, you pay a fine. In theory, I don't think they're going into favelas and being like, "Hey, you didn't vote, pay a fine." Uh, but a lot of people didn't vote who could have voted, right? So, I mean, you could play this game all day. It, it, it fundamentally does not matter. But there's a childishness that the Democrats can't shake loose, and it's because. They've gotten, you know, eight years of Obama, you really get used to a certain tone and tenor coming from D.C. Eight years of Obama and the future of this country starts to really feel like it is inevitable and you've reached a sort of progressive version of the end of history, right? To borrow from Francis Fukuyama's now much discredited or at least much pulled apart essay. You know, the the, the progressive version of the end of history in America, right, which is that there's no more. Uh, there are no more barriers to the progressive agenda. One of the things that I believe they've been dealing with, and a very good essay by Victor Davis Hanson earlier, earlier in the week on this issue, where he said they're a party of teeth gnashers. What do they really stand for anymore? You know, I, I think it's important for Republicans to be willing to sit back and say that there was a time when, first of all, the Democrats and the Republicans were much closer on a lot of issues, uh, right? I mean, you go back, you look at Kennedy and his rhetoric, and you know, I mean, JFK, uh, and it would be very, you know, he he's, sounds like a Republican today, to be sure, right? Maybe he sounds like Jim Webb or something, but Jim Webb is barely a, that Jim Webb is a Democrat seems to be more of like an accident than anything else. Uh, but you 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 look back and see what they were trying to accomplish or what they were pushing for. Now, of course, they were on the wrong side of civil rights, and they were the segregationists, and they were the Dixiecrats, and that's just been completely. 
whitewashed from their history. Right? Republicans were truly the ones that were pushing for equality, but that's that's a whole conversation. I guess we could we will have we will have that another time, but I don't want to get too deep into it right now. But so equal rights of uh, racial equality, Republicans were way ahead of them. You look at Eisenhower desegregating the schools. Republicans were way ahead of Democrats, and now they've sort of flipped the script. Okay, at least in terms of people, the way people view these things. Um, But the the ideas about, uh, you know, some of the stuff that the early unions are pushing for, 40-hour work week, minimum wage, whether they're economically sound or not, they're popular, people like them, and at least it's a policy, right? Um. You know, it's it's like say what you you know. Is it in the Big Lebowski where he goes say what you will about nihilism? At least, at least it's a philosophy. There's some line like that, right? Uh, say what you will about nihilism, but at least it's a. I'll, I'll look up the actual quote, but at least it's a philosophy or something along those lines. And the Democrats sort of stood for these things, and I think that what they weren't necessarily prepared for, or what normal Democrats weren't prepared for, was okay. Well, let's say they get gay marriage. Um, What's really left on social issues for Democrats? That's I mean, they already have affirmative action. They've already balkanized and played the identity politics. What do they really stand for now? And under Obama, without it being that, you know, okay, socialized medicine or everyone will point out socialized medicine isn't really an apt description. Single payer is much more accurate. And the moment that you're inaccurate, people on the other side will sort of point at that and go, you know, ha ha. And they'll say that you don't know anything, even though. We all kind of know what we mean by by socialized medicine, um, but it's really single payer. It just means the government pays for it. Socialized medicine would mean the government is is paying the salaries of the doctors, is running the hospitals. You know that would be truly socialized medicine. Uh, what what we're looking for is just Medicare for all, or at least that's what the Democrats, I should say, are looking for. That's what they're trying to push for. We're not looking for that. Sorry, but you know what I mean. That's what the real push is. The government pays for health care, but the healthcare system stays largely as it is. Of course, that distorts the incentives and will eventually destroy the health care system that we do have because there's no market incentives for them to act a certain way. The government's paying for everything. And anyway, and eventually I think you do get to a socialized system because you have such uh, shortfalls and collapses and you can go back to Hayek and the road to serfdom. The moment the government begins to intervene and intercede, it just creates more intervention. Right, because the government creates a distortion, whether it's through regulatory policy of economics or just day to day lives. Whatever the government does, you know, it's sort of uh, Isaac Newton. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's Newton, right? Gosh, well, I'm letting it fly all over the place today. Yeah, thank you, Ty. Ty's got my back. Uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. The reaction you get from government intervention is the need for either more government intervention or people to realize that the government has distorted something, has done something that creates an effect that people may or may not like. And when you begin to pull this apart and when you begin to look sort of more deeply into the way the Democrats have been acting over the last, well, certainly over the last few years of Obama, they've run out of real issues um, that they can openly advocate for. I and mean, this is how you get a socialist with Bernie Sanders Doing so well, Democrat socialist, but whatever, a socialist nonetheless. Um, they just call for more, more of the same and more of the same of things that people don't really like and aren't working very well, right? More, uh, more government redistribution of wealth, more, uh, more government involvement in markets and regulations. And they keep, you know, they're, they've got a fever and the only prescription is more cowbell, right? And cowbell in this case being the government doing things. 
So they've lost their sense of, or, or rather, I should say, there's not some grand issue that they're fighting. What do the Democrats really want? Do they want open borders? They don't want open borders because they realize that that would mean the end of the country. I mean, they want something close to open borders, but they won't say they're for open borders. You'll never hear a prominent Democrat say that anyone who wants to come to America should just come here and stay. But they'll get really close to it, right? You'll never hear them say that we want you know, a 70% tax rate on anybody you know, earning over half a million dollars a year or 250000 whatever it is, so we can fund more programs for the, for the poor. But, I mean, that's kind of what they want, right? They're, they're pushing closer and closer to these things because they have no new ideas. They, they have no solutions for anything. And they've, I think, realized now not only do they have no new ideas or solutions – but their only reason for existence is about to become hating Donald Trump and hating the Republican Party because they're not going to get anything anymore. So they had lost um, they had lost a sense of purpose, I think. And, and this is also how you saw. I mean, think about this, really. We're having national fights and national conversations. The White House is weighing in on transgender bathroom usage. Uh, uh, the completely uh, exaggerated. Not that there's nothing, right? This is, I get very frustrated when I talk about this because uh, having known people that have had uh, horrible, horrible things happen, horrible assaults happen on campus, I, it's not like it doesn't exist. I, I'm not an idiot. No one else who talks about this in any serious way would ever say that. But it is an exaggeration. It's not you know, one out of five women on campus is being raped. I mean, that's just not true. This is the statistic that people are throwing out. And the White House gets involved in that. And that's a... That's a state and local law enforcement issue, right? This is just enforced laws against sexual assault and rape. It's not a White House issue, but they kept picking these things that they're involving themselves in largely because the Democratic Party has turned into a giant orgy of virtue signaling. That's all everybody wants to do all the time. They don't want to fix anything. They don't want to solve anything. They don't want to make anything better. They just want to point fingers at other people and feel good about themselves. I got a little off the rails there, for, or off the topic, so I, we'll have to, we're, I'm going to focus it back. I'm going to focus it back. We'll take some calls. Uh, if you're calling in and it's busy, by the way, just know that every time we take a call, the slot opens, because I know the lines are lighting up. I appreciate that. Freestyle Friday continues. We'll be back in a few. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Dispensing the truth. 
This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we got the team rallying to my side today with shields high, knowing that I'm sitting here a little groggy from a migraine hangover. Jill in Indiana, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling, Jill. Hey, I um, wanted to get your thoughts on, I seem to be hearing from the media and the politicians that the only anyone who didn't vote for Hillary must be a racist or Islamophobic or whatever, or they were just too stupid to understand their message. Yeah, well, it's much easier for them. Uh, it's much easier for them to create a narrative where there was no, uh, there was no messaging from Donald Trump that resonated with people. Right? They'd much rather the storyline be, "Oh, uh, it's just all about racism." And look, the Democrats have gotten lazy because they like to just say that everything is racist all the time. And it it, it has been effective up to a point. But I, I do think that the public has become kind of numb to that accusation. And this election, in, in a sense, was at le- in, in part, there was a lot of stuff, but it was in part a rejection of irresponsible racism accusations. Well, they, they seem to be either unwilling or unable to admit the fact that I understood their message, and I didn't like it. Yeah. Well, of course. So what's, you know, what's easier to... It's like if someone breaks up with you, right? Do you, you want to think that it's because, uh, you know, you, you were being weird and needy, or you want to think it's because the other person has issues? It's because they've got issues, right? <laughs> what's yeah. the easier thing to believe? So the Democratic Party wants to believe the American people have issues. It's not them. It's us. That's their, that's their position. Yeah. Dating analogies are very helpful for politics, by the way. Jill from Indiana, uh, great to have you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, Team, there's space on the phones, 888-900-3393. Haven't totally finished yet in this back and forth with the uh, Hillary and Clinton, I mean, Hillary and Trump campaign people. We'll do that in just a few minutes. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team Nutrition is essential, as you know, and beets are a nutrition gold mine. They are rich in vitamins, minerals, electrolytes, and dietary nitrates. Dietary nitrates turn into nitric oxide in the body, and nitric oxide can help boost circulation and maintain healthy blood pressure levels. Super Beets is the easiest way to get these dietary nitrates. I'm telling you, it is delicious. It's a really fantastic product. You get the benefit of three whole beets and just one teaspoon of Super Beets, and there's no beet taste. Super Beets is better than regular beets and beet juice because they are specially grown, non-GMO, and protected by a light-drying process, which is also the secret to how good it tastes. I'm telling you, I can feel confident that you will really enjoy your first time with Super Beets, and it gives you energy. It gives me energy. So please call 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeats.com. Get a 30-day supply free. It comes with your first order and is backed by a money-back guarantee. Also receive a free book, Beat the Odds, and free shipping on your entire order. You'll love the results you feel with your first free canister, guaranteed, or your money back. 800-311-4367. 
teambuckbeats.com, 800-311-4367, or teambuckbeats.com. Super Beats. Uh, John in Wisconsin, you're on the Buck Section Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Shields high. Shields high, buddy. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the uh, Jill Stein recount situation. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean? What, my thoughts had, mean uh, what? I mean, it's it's uh, it's a joke. It's a waste of time, and Jill Stein's annoying. Do you want more than that? I can give you more. Well, I just wanted to let you know how annoying it is for us. Uh, oh, we, please. Uh, last week, uh, last week we had a uh, a woman show up at the house here, uh, middle of the day on a school day with her daughter, and uh, she said, "Well, you know, I know that uh, uh, you're probably disappointed with the election, but," and I said, "Well, no, I'm not, but." what can I help you with? And she said, well, we're, you know, raising money for the Jill Stein recount. And uh, it just, you know, like you said, it seems so uh, impossible and ridiculous. What do you think the the long-term game plan is for that? I don't, I don't think there is a long-term game plan. I, I think that this I is just, just sort of with, a publicity with, stunt and she gets to raise money off of it. Well, yeah, that too. But I mean, with, you know, with Hillary endorsing it and, you know, there's some kind of team up or yeah i think, think i think it that? actually ties into what i'm sort of talking about a bit this hour before i got caught up in lebowski quotes uh, which i need to correct myself on by the <laughs> way i'll get there um but you know what actually uh, jo- uh if you don't mind john let me just make sure that i set the record straight it's uh nihilists i mean say what you want about the tenets of national socialism dude at least it's an ethos so i had that one mixed up i knew there's something about nihilist but it's actually <laughs> It's actually Walter uh, Subcheck saying something about National Socialists. So they're talking about Nazis <laughs> and nihilists. Anyway, great movie, by the way, Big Lebowski. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's one of those movies that Absolutely. I think is better the more you see it. Okay, so back to Jill Stein. Not a nihilist, but a Green Party communist. A uh, person who, in this election, conceivably could have cost Hillary the necessary votes for her to win, which is pretty astonishing when you think about it. Um, but... Anyway, uh, what is her long-term plan? I, I have no idea. Why is Hillary signing on to it, or why is the Clinton campaign sort of playing footsie with this whole thing? Well, I can tell you it is because uh, they want to do everything they can to create some basis for undermining the legitimacy of a Trump presidency, undermine the idea of a mandate, undermine that Trump is, the re- is really the president. I mean, I can't wait for Aaron Sorkin to come out with another uh, bloated piece of bloviation with, you know, the the alternative presidency part two, right? It'll it'll be like, well, I guess we, you know, it'll be sort of like Madam Secretary, but it'll be Madam President. Uh, Madam Secretary right. still going as a show, by the way, which I find hard to believe because I saw it and it was terrible. But that's what it is. It's just giving people more fodder. It's giving people more leeway to pretend that Trump isn't really the president, right? That uh, you know, right. oh, there has to be a recount. They're trying to undermine through innuendo and insinuation Trump's victory. That's what this is all about, even though it's not going to come to anything and they know it. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's sort of like how, uh, you know, Nifong, one of the most vile prosecutors to have been exposed in a long time or certainly in recent memory in U.S. US history. uh, He was the guy who prosecuted the Duke lacrosse team. Even when he knew that even when it was clear they were innocent, he he decided to keep prosecuting them because it was politically uh, useful for him. His sort of thing afterwards was, well, I, st- I still think there's I still think something happened that night after he had been disbarred and sued and everything else. I still think something happened clinging to a fiction because for some people psychologically, it's just it's just easier to cling to the fiction than deal with the reality. And with Trump's victory, 
I think there are people that, even though there's no proof, they'd like to believe that it was a uh, stolen election. Right. You know what I'm saying? I do. And, uh, you know, lots of our clients are from the Madison and Milwaukee area, so we're, you know, we can't really, my my wife and I, uh, we can't really speak our minds about it, so great to listen to you on it. Yeah, rock and roll, man. Thank you very much, John Shields High. Thank you for calling in. So fun. I get to sit here in New York City and talk to like my friends all across the country. I gotta get out and travel more so I can do like Team Buck, you know, Team Buck barbecue stops all across the country. These are the dreams that I have. But you know, people are like, why don't you do it? Well, I'd need to fund it, and I'd need to uh, let the Blaze let me do this. And creating a radio rig setup, I- I'm waiting for the day when I when we can get like a the iPhone is good enough plugged into a mic that I can sort of do a show show on the road, then I'll really be, that will be, then the Freedom Hut will really be free. Uh, meaning, you know, I can meander all over the place. I'm going to find an island somewhere in the South Pacific with enough clean drinking water and coconuts and uh, friendly lady locals and, you know, just hang out under palm trees in a hammock doing the Freedom Hut from there. That, that is the goal one day. I don't know if I will ever get there. Starting to sound like Tom Berenger in the movie Sniper, whose whole thing is he wants to stop being a sniper who's sent on these effectively suicide missions. I don't know if any of you have seen this. Billy Zane is in it. And Tom Berenger's uh, this sort of just hardcore sniper guy who you know has been through too much, seen too much, and everything else. And they send them on this, on essentially an assassination mission in what I think is Central America, and uh, it's a ridiculous movie in the sense. In the, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. It's an action movie. See, so, yeah, I've seen a lot of them. Billy Zane is in it too. Uh, but his whole thing is that he wants to stop being a sniper and uh, become a fishing guide in Montana. And over the course of the movie, he finds out that like the place he wants to, the watering hole he wants to go to, or the or the uh, fishing hole, watering hole he wants to open a bar too. The fishing hole uh, has since been paved over, and there's like a high school there. His dream was all, but nah, South Pacific, everybody. I want to make it happen. We, we just need to get really good Wi-Fi, and um, there needs to be like one decent doctor on the island so that when I get a a ice pick through the center of the brain level migraine, um, uh, I can you know go see somebody who doesn't just like rub coconut oil on my forehead. Although that probably works as well as what they do for migraines. I'll be honest with you, it's unbelievable how. Western medicine, I could do a whole show on how disappointing Western medicine is, although that would be a little self-indulgent, but I thought about it before. How you go in and you're like, hey, what's this? You go to you go to a dermatologist, you're like, hey, this like weird patch of whatever on my arm. They're like, yeah, go buy this thing. Hopefully your insurance covers it. If it doesn't, like that weird cream is going to cost you about $800 and uh, rub it on there and like see what happens. You come back a few weeks later, you're like, yeah, it's, I still got this weird patch on my elbow or whatever. Can you do it? They're like, eh, I don't know. Good luck. Rub some dirt on it. They got nothing for you. You go in there, you've got a terrible headache. Like, what can you guys do? It's like, well, what have you tried? Tylenol. I'm like, well, I can give you like better Tylenol. Well, I'm not sure that's really going to do it. Yeah. Rub some dirt on it. And I mean, I could go the, all day. You go through all these different things. They're just, they got, they got nothing for you. I've got terrible lower back pain. You know what? What can you do? Eh, I don't know. You know, we give you some injections or something, send you to physical therapy, rub some dirt on it. I mean, it's a, why do they go to school for four years? I can't remember the last time I went to see a medical doctor for any issue. And I was like, wow, I'm impressed. You can you can actually like fix this or we, we can, you know, usually they tell you to do something and a month or six weeks or whatever it is passes and maybe and, and hopefully it gets better. And then 
uh, and then you're supposed to believe that whatever thing they told you to do was was why you're better. Right? This is why I think. Anyway, I should I'm not not that I'm giving medical advice to anybody here. I'm just saying I find it very disappointing. Uh, I find that you have no, um, you know. I have so little. I have so little faith. I go see these doc. I've had to see doctors for things in recent years that are always in the like, oh, like make a lifestyle modification, like have less stress in your life. I'm like, oh, gee, that's great. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd, let's let's have less stress. Tell that to like my industry and my life. I mean, I don't understand. Anyway, sorry guys, I'm I'm off the rails on this one, and uh, I need to get back on for a second here. Although I'm sure some of you, who do we? I just lost my call-in screen. Who do we have up here? We got a bunch of calls. Let's take some. So they bring me back to home base. Ty, Brian in North Carolina, you are on the Buck Sexton show. What is up? Shield high, Buck. Sorry to hear about your migraines. I suffer as well. Shields high. Yeah, I feel like a baby talking about it on air, except for the fact that it was brutal. Well, if I use a lot of natural stuff. If you want, try getting some lavender oil in like two or three, three drops. Right where it hurts, just rub it on. Really? Works for me. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. I like the smell of lavender. I have lavender hand soap because I'm such a fancy man. <laughs> and I'll I, tell you right actually, now, I, I, I admit too much here. I feel like I'm hanging out with all my friends because I am, so I just say things. Yeah. And some of the natural cures work a lot better, I think, than, than you know the, the medical industry's cures. So. Oh, yeah. I, I want to do a whole... I'd like to have a whole... I kind of do want to do a show one day where we just talk about all the reasons that people should be sort of skeptical of modern medicine, mm-hmm. although I feel like there are there are liability issues with this, so that's why I don't do it. But. Well, you are not a doctor, but you play one on the radio. How's that? Exactly. exactly. If, we do, if we do it from like an entertainment perspective, and that's basically what right. Dr. Oz is. That guy, doesn't, that guy doesn't tell you real stuff. So what else did you want to talk about other than medical stuff? Okay, got a, got a uh, action movie quote for you. I eat green berets for breakfast, and right now I'm very hungry. Oh, dude, that's commando. Come on. I don't even, I, you, I'm, I'm ready to rock. No, that's a perfect one. I'm just saying, come on now. Test me. Test I'm me. Sorry. That's right I out of commando. I, that's, that's, a great, that's a great scene. That's uh, Schwarzenegger facing off against a guy. I forget his name, but he's an actor that was in a number of movies with, uh, with Schwarzenegger. And it's just because like, Arnold and him became friends somehow, and he brought him in these movies. Actually, guy does, he's in Predator, too. Uh, not, not Predator the second, but Predator like. as well. It's the only action movie like that because it's just so ridiculous. It's it, it just, it's. I think. Oh, it's oh, so Commando bad. is so Commando good. is is amazing because it's so ridiculous. He is running around in the open. I mean, those of you, mm-hmm. and I know it's funny because there are people listening to the show who are. I mean, I've got people who are downrange who download the show right now. They're downrange. I've got people who have serious tactical experience either in SWAT or special operations listen to the show. So I know they know what I'm talking about. I think everybody else does too. In Commando, you've got Schwarzenegger running around. He's firing on full auto an AK-47 from the hip. I mean, he must fire about 500 rounds out of that thing before he changes. And he's just changing like guns to guns to guns. And and never Bill Duke is the name of the actor. Thank you, Ty. Yeah. And he never gets hit. And he's got hundreds of guys running at him firing AK-47s. He's out in the open. Apparently none of them can shoot... Not even straight. They just like can't shoot anything. It's a great movie though, and it's uh, what's it, the the daughter turns the daughter is uh, Alyssa, Alyssa Milano. Milano. Yeah. All right, she'll tell you have a good good day. And feel hey, no, dude, you got me so excited because you brought up Commando, Brian. Thank you. That's like one of my all time classics. And thank you, Shields High. Uh, that's one of the ones that I saw with my brothers a, a million times. 
seen that movie so many times. If only I had decided to like take up a second language and put that time towards that instead of watching Commando, I'd be sitting here reciting, uh, uh, I don't know, Dante Alighieri in the original Italian or something. I got to go to a break, but I'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Joe and San Fran, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Shields high. Shields high, Buck. Uh, so just to let you know, I have seen both Sniper and Sniper Reloaded. Um, Sniper was okay. Sniper Reloaded, I would have to say, was uh, so bad that it was bad. Not uh, Not worth your time. But anyway, digressing a little bit. We've heard a lot about fake news over the last, uh, well, since November 8th, of course, even President Obama talking to the Rolling Stone, who made up a story about a rape at the University of Virginia, uh, um, and yet somehow is now the, going to help <clears throat> restore the honesty and integrity of news. But you wait, 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 who said this? I mean, I was, I was totally out of commission yesterday, so I missed this. What happened? President Obama was talking to Jan Wenner, I think is his name. The, oh, yeah, yeah, the Rolling Stone guy, sure. Yeah. Rolling Stone, about the problems with fake news. And I, I don't have, I didn't listen to the content of the actual um, dialogue, but he's talking about how magazines like the Rolling Stone can help restore the integrity of the news or something like that, or how we've got to make sure that people go to the Rolling Stone to get real news. So... Uh, on its face, ridiculous, of course, but, um, you know, the New York Times has a proud history of real news stretching all the way back to 1931, as you well know, with Walter Durante having visited the Potemkin villages at the same time that the Holodomor was going on in the Soviet Union. And that stretches all the way up to uh, this last election when they obtained, the New York Times obtained 10 pages of Donald Trump's tax return from 1995. So 10 pages of one year of his federal income tax return. Now, Donald Trump probably files returns in every state and maybe a few foreign countries. Um, His federal tax return is probably hundreds of pages long. They got 10 pages of it. And yes, some pages tell more than other pages, but they got 10 pages of one return. Joe, we got 10 seconds. So you want to stay through? We'll we'll bring you into the next hour. You can finish this because I got to follow where you're going and and we don't have time right now because we're going to a hard break. So stay with us, buddy. We'll bring you back. We'll bring you back. Um, team, Hour 2 is already upon us. That's how fast the show is flying. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. 
All right, Team Buck, welcome to Hour 2 for Freestyle Friday. We're joined by our friend Matt Walsh. He is the author of the Matt Walsh blog. He's a Blaze contributor. You can read his latest on theblaze.com, including, Yes, leftists, Christians believe that homosexual act is a sin. Get over it. And uh, he's also the author of the Matt Walsh podcast. Mr. Walsh, great to have you, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Buck. And congrats on the new addition to the Walsh family. Haven't had a chance to actually say it uh, yet on air, but... Very happy to hear about that. Yeah, thanks a lot. We're, we're a little bit tired with the new baby, but uh, we're, we're happy. Nice. Uh, so, before we get into, uh, uh, into your, in your latest piece, I can just ask you what do you what do you think the the end? Someone asked me before about the end game for Jill Stein and the recount, which there is no end game, right? It's just doing something to do it because you can do it. But these Hillary um, these Hillary uh, aides that are in a fight with the Trump aides. Actually, let's play this really quick, and then and then we can have uh, Matt respond. Play clip two. If providing a platform for white supremacists makes me brilliant. A brilliant tactician. I'm glad to have lost. I would rather lose than win the way you guys did. Do you think I ran a campaign where white supremacists had a platform? Are you going to look me in the face and tell me that? It did. Kelly, really? did. Oh, it did. That's how you lost. It did. Do you think you could have just had a decent message for the white working class voters? Matt, what do you think about this? They're still white, white supremacists. That's why Hillary lost. Yeah, I think this is just, I mean, it's just pride. They're, they, you have to think about how embarrassed these people must be. It's, yeah, they were. I'm talking about Hillary, Hillary's uh, strategists and her aides and everything. They were saddled with an awful candidate, but at the same time, I mean, they lost to Donald Trump, and uh, so it's a very embarrassing thing. And I and I think uh, in a lot of ways, I'm sure many of them are trying to salvage a career for themselves. I mean, who's going to forget about Hillary Clinton? But but who? What uh, future Democratic candidate for any race is going to hire one of the people that worked on the Clinton 2016 campaign? It's going to go down as as maybe the worst campaign ever run by anybody and uh all of these people were involved in it so i think it's just their pride and they're trying to come up with an excuse and so the excuse is oh they were victims of white supremacy white supremacy and all this kind of stuff it's kind of, it's sad but uh but a little funny as well do you think that uh, i've been hoping for a while that the uh racism accusation w- ha- that this is maybe the point in time and this has been going on for a few months now when it has lost its potency to just be the most sort of cheap, easily available weapon to destroy somebody in sort of the public eye and, and to force them into, you know, either make it look like they're losing an argument when it has nothing to do with race or to sort of force them from the public square. If you can sort of race shame them or shame them about their racism or whatever. Um, do, you, do you think that it's going to continue in the direction where that has lost its potency or is the left clinging to this because their belief is that just give it some time and we're going to be in sort of race racism hysteria America all over again. Yeah, I I think for right now people are a little bit worn out on it. Um but I also think we we have to remember that there's something that can that can that might get Republicans and and conservatives in trouble is that you know Donald Trump obviously has his own set of rules that's pretty clear now. And I don't know how long those those uh, there there are plenty as we all know there are plenty of things that he can say and do and get away with that nobody else can. I don't know if we're, I don't think that's going to last for four years or eight years that he's in office. Eventually, that's going to wear off. But for as long as it does as, as it as it uh, as it's there, you know, it only really applies to, to him. So we know that the racism charges against him, I think, were were false anyway. I don't think he's a racist, but um, they didn't stick. 
do will they stick? You know, is it still a, a tool that leftists can use against other people? I, I, I tend to think they still they certainly will and they still can. I, I don't think that other Republicans and conservatives are, are quite the same, you know, are Teflon like he is when it comes to that kind of thing. And it's the only it's the only look, it's the only play they have is the identity politics. That's their entire uh, modus operandi. So they're not going to they're going to keep doing it. And um, and whether whether it will eventually stick to Trump, I don't know. I'm really not sure. But I guess we'll I guess we'll find out. Matt, I want to get to your piece, which is on theblaze.com right now. Yes, leftists, Christians believe that homo, uh, homosexual act is a sin. Get over it. Uh, I want to I want to get to that. But can I just ask you, what does leftism stand for now? I think it's an interesting time to ask the question. What, what do they want? What do they stand for? I think they've stood, they stand for what they've always stood for. I don't think that changes. In, in my mind, the central, um, the foundation, if you want to call it that, of leftism is and has been for a long time, moral is relativism, moral relativism. And, and, um, and that's what they stand for. That's their, that's their driving force. It's what they're trying to sort of spread throughout the culture. Uh, a culture where you can basically do whatever you want, and your morality is your morality, and your your reality is your reality. It doesn't have to be everyone else's reality. That's what they stand for. I think that's what they'll that's what they'll continue to stand for. Um, it's they you know, in order to change, they would have to embrace uh, some kind of objective moral code, which. I don't, which they can't do, because that would be the destruction of leftism as we know it. Right, and, and this is a perfect way to, I think, transition then into your piece, where we, where they, obviously, the relativism doesn't extend to Christianity. That's not a live and let live situation. Um, tell me a bit, I mean, I was out, uh, unfortunately, Matt, yesterday, I was out sick, so I'm not as up on this as, as some other folks are, but I know Chip and Joanna Gaines are on this uh, HGTV show, Fixer Upper, and they've gotten into some trouble. Why? Or with the media, I should say. Yeah, well, they leftists tried to get them in trouble, and of course it backfired because they chose the wrong target. But uh, basically, BuzzFeed did an investigative report um, revealing that Chip and Joanna Gaines of, fix, of Fixer Upper fame attend a church where the pastor preaches that the homosexual act is a sin. And uh, and BuzzFeed found this shocking and surprising. And then other liberal outlets like Cosmo and Us Weekly and others ran with it and started say, demanding to, to, to you know do Chip and Joanna Gaines feel this way? Hey, and they looked into it and they they you know they they went through the past archives of the show and they found that uh, the show has never featured a gay couple or a transgender couple and that must mean that there's bigotry and so on and so forth. Um, and of course, the response to that is a couple things. First of all, uh, you know why does it matter? This is a home renovation show. Second of all. We don't know how Chip and Joanna Gaines feel about gay marriage. They've never said it publicly. They still haven't said it. They're under no obligation to say it publicly. And third, um, and the biggest point to me is, you know, what the pastor said, what their pastor said is just a reflection of basic Christian teaching. And he, all he was doing is saying what's, what is said in the Bible many different times throughout the Old New Testament. Um, so this is not some shocking thing. This is what Christians believe. And that's what I find so uh, funny is that you know these liberals who pretend to be so cultured and to be so aware of you know everything and so enlightened um they apparently know nothing about the fundamental moral doctrines of the largest and most influential religion in the world because that's the only way i can explain how they would be shocked and surprised to find out that a pastor preached that homosexual the homosexual act is wrong that's what all 
Yeah, there are some churches that are apostate churches in America that have backed away from that doctrine. There's a lot of them. I, I, there are a lot of churches in my neighborhood, Matt, that literally fly uh, gay pride flags. So I'm just saying it's it's a, it's been interesting to watch that happen. Yeah, and, and I would I, my argument there is that those are not actually churches; those are heretical cults. Once the church has abandoned uh, the you know the once they've abandoned scriptural teaching, they're, they're not a Christian church anymore. You can't you can't do that. You can't have it both ways. Uh, but still, and that is happening in America. But still, the vast majority of Christian churches throughout the world um, per, would profess this teaching, even if they don't talk about it a lot because they're afraid to. They all would profess this teaching because it's right there in Scripture. And so this is a total non-story. Um, but in in the leftist mind, it's like you've got look, you've got good Christians and you've got bad Christians, and the, the good Christians are the ones who abandoned. Uh, abandon moral, you know, Christian moral teaching and abandon scripture, and the bad Christians are the ones who are, um, you know, stick to their doctrine. And leftists want to make sure that they get all of the, you know, quote unquote bad Christians into that good Christian territory. But to be a good Christian in the eyes of a progressive is to essentially not be a Christian at all. Right. So, so you can't go to a traditional scriptural Christian church and have a show about fixing uh, up houses without people doing an expose on your attendance at a traditional Christian church. Yeah, it's really incredible. And, and, you know, of course, other people have pointed out, well, what about, uh, you know, why don't we do this with other religions? I mean, what about uh, Muslims in the media? Why aren't there any exposés on on what their imams are preaching about gay marriage? Because I guarantee you that, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you're not, I don't think you're going to find a mosque in America, and you're certainly not going to find a mosque anywhere else in the world that will marry a gay couple. Um so, but they, you don't see this. You're not going to find BuzzFeed doing an expose on some uh, Muslim media member about that their mosque's teachings on gay marriage. So there's an inconsistency there. But it's not really an inconsistency because the answer is just that progressives hate Christians. They don't hate Muslims. They hate Christians. They hate, and uh, it's not just about gay marriage or abortion or whatever. They just hate the religion itself. And so that's what it comes down to. Matt Walsh is the author of the Matt Walsh blog. You can read his latest on theblaze.com, where he's also a contributor. He writes pieces every week, and uh, they get widely shared and do very well. Matt, always appreciate you making the time, sir. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks a lot. Uh, Let's take uh, Joe in San Fran, because I promised him that we would let him have his say. Joe, I'm going to give you another minute or two here, but we need to get to a, a pretty clear point. Go for it. Right. So the New York Times, and I'm an accountant, so I understand these things, and I'm also not a Trump apologist. The New York Times got 10 pages of one return for Donald Trump's uh, one year of his federal income tax return. Then they, from that, projected that he most likely or probably or could have or maybe or if he did this and that didn't pay federal taxes for 20 years. Well, they said 18 years in the article. And Hillary Clinton took that on the campaign trail. In the meantime, Donald Trump files thousands of pages of tax returns in multiple jurisdictions every year. They made this projection from 10 pages of one return. That is fake news. The New York Times is fake news. And that was what I had to say. Have a great weekend, Buck. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Joe. Thank you for calling. And I appreciate you staying through and letting us finish up the point there. Uh, team, uh, sponsor this half hour is silencershop.com. Look, silencershop offers the best buying experience, period. If you're in the market to get a silencer, you know that silencershop knows what it's doing because they handle and process more of these forms than anybody else in the country by a huge margin. And silencershop offers the best prices with the best service. 
So please check out silencershop.com for all of your suppressor and silencer needs. They've got the best brands, the best prices. You'll buy it from your local dealers. You're supporting local business as you do it. Silencershop.com is the site. Again, silencershop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Show. Team, it's official. James Mattis, the retired Marine, uh, General Mattis, is Trump's choice to be Secretary of Defense. A lot of people are saying this is an excellent, uh, an excellent decision by the Trump administration, and there's a real reverence for General Mattis. I wanted to get someone to weigh in who actually knows the general, had personal interaction with him in the field downrange. We're joined now by my friend Brandon Webb. He is the founder and CEO of Force 12 Media. You can also see what all of his writers are up to at softrep.com. Brandon, great to have you, buddy. What's going on? Hey, thanks for having me. So, so listen, I, before I get into my Mattis story, um, my personal opinion is that while I think it's a good choice, I don't think it's the best choice. And, you know, you look at um, Mattis's career, which I'll get to in a minute, but the, the guy – has no strong background in special operations and it the 21st century is a special operations centric war and you know that best but um before i get into that um so my experience with mattis i had a funny funny interaction with him when i was in kandahar in 2001 um we were actually under task force 58 which mattis was was uh, in charge of which i believe makes him the first marine to ever command a naval task force in combat um, but this is very early Kandahar. I mean, they were sweeping up glass and blood in the international airport, and Marines and the we had, the SEAL teams were there. We just re- relieved, I think it was SEAL Team Three uh, Delta Platoon. Um, so we're going. I'm getting ready for a mission up north, and we're loading the helicopters, the H-53s, which is a massive helicopter, and I'm putting my sniper kit in there and. I see this Marine walk up to me, and it's Mattis. He's a one-star at the time. And he, he's like, hey, sailor, you got a second? I said, yeah, yes, sir. I walk over. He points at the EPW camp, the prisoner prisoner camp in Kandahar. And these prisoners were coming in every night. I mean, these C-130s and helicopters would land, march these bad, very bad guys off the, the aircraft. And some of them shot up. I mean, these guys are right off the battlefield and shove them in, into the camp. He points to it and says, look, that camp is full. I want no more prisoners back here. Do you get my drift, sailor? I said, yes, sir. Um, so it was very clear to me. And, and uh, you know, and Mattis is a very charismatic guy, and he's a soldier, soldier. He's a, he comes from the enlisted ranks as a Mustang officer. Um, so we go out, we go up north uh, to the Zawarkili Cave Complex. It was a very, very good mission. You're destroying one of the, the second largest terrorist training camps in Afghanistan. A um, lot of activity, a lot of action, a lot of bad guys killed. And we ended up capturing six guys. And I turned to my platoon commander, Cassidy, and who Cassidy now is a, as an astronaut, the second Navy SEAL astronaut at NASA. So interesting fact there. Um, I turned to 
Cassie and said, what are we doing taking these guys prisoner? Like, let me take them out and we're going to smoke them right now. And in hindsight, probably would have done it all the same. Like, I would have done it all over again Um, because it was very clear to me. Like, Matt, I didn't want to be the guy that's, like, sending six prisoners back on a H-53 helicopter to to the general. Like, like, let's just kill these guys. They're bad guys. We know that. But we ended up sending them back anyway. And um, if I had a saw the general, I I don't know what I would have done. But... That's my Matta story. That was the that was definitely the right decision, Brandon. Because my understanding yeah. is you guys could get in a lot of trouble otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I know. But, but hey, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just you and the guys, you know, <laughs> uh, stuff happens, right? So, um, you know, but back to Matta. So he, the guy is an inc- incredible, has an incredible career, very well loved amongst all branches of military. Does have you know he's in, in charge of the first battalion Marines in Gulf War One. You know he was ended up taking over central command and CENTCOM we call it then he is that kind of Patton-esque person um i could see why trump likes him but i'm just uh you know one of the things we do on soft rep is we try and call it as we see it and, and provide that kind of critical analysis on foreign policy domestic security and and i the guys and i've been talking in our our private writers chat room and you know i think the consensus is Hey, look, Mattis is a good choice, but just not the best. The, he doesn't come from the special operations community, and that community and the intelligence community, which you know best, is shouldering the the bulk of the burden on this new global war on terror. And you know, we're but, fighting. Brandon, is, is there an argument to be made though that you know he's going to be sort of handling as SecDef? He'll be handling the big military side of things, and you know, there'll be somebody who's there'll be somebody who's commanding JSOC. There'll be somebody who's running. Yeah. So calm, but, but as the person in charge of overall strategy and and in charge of those component commands, I want a guy. I want to pick a guy like McRaven or Olson or Shoemaker, General Shoemaker, guys that were in charge of the United States Special Operations Command post nine eleven because they understand the capabilities of the intelligence communities, the special operations communities. They come from. They come from those communities, so they, they really have an understanding of what's happening in the world. And, yeah, is Mattis going to send a message to to the rest of the world, like, don't mess with this guy? He's got he's got cojones. So I get it. He's a good pick. I'm just saying not the best. Like, he I hear be you. on my short list. Brandon, uh, so Brandon's a former Navy SEAL, for those who don't already know that, and also go to softrep.com, and Force 12 Media is uh, the company he founded. We've only got about 45 seconds, Brandon, but Christmas time is coming up. Tell everybody about Crate Club. Yeah, so Crate Club um, is a club run by uh, me and the guys. We handpick the gear, so you're getting survival and tactical items, a variety of levels of subscription, but we send a box in the mail every month. We've got some great stuff coming for the holidays, whether you're shopping for a guy or you're a guy that just wants really cool stuff. You want Christmas every month, then um, sign up for the Crate Club. We started the club. Where? Where do they go? They go to crateclub.us. CrateClub.us. I've seen some of the stuff, some of the gear in there. It is awesome. And I look forward to getting some myself before Christmas, Brandon. (laughs) Good talking to you, buddy. We'll have you back soon. Team, we'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team, we're joined now by Emily Zanotti. She is the political editor at Heat Street. She is E.M. Zanotti on Twitter. What's up, Emily? Not too much. How about you? Uh, that's good. It's Friday. You know, it's weekends here. It's yeah. kind of exciting. Uh, there's an enormous construction project across the street from where I do radio, and for some reason it has temporarily stopped. So it's no longer like I'm in the middle of uh, Apocalypse Now or something with you know helicopters and, and booms going off everywhere. So that's nice. Um, no war zone raining down on your head? Yeah, none of that. It, it, it sounds like a war zone over here because they're actually de- demoing the building across the street from me. So more TMI, I know, TMI. Let's get into some pieces you've written for Heat Street, <laughs> if I can, if you don't mind. Let's start with sure. uh, the adulting sc- <laughs> I like this. Adulting school that offers classes and being a grown-up to Portland's hipsters. Tell us about this, Emily. Yeah, so adulting, uh, millennials don't really like to do things that make them grown up. They've you know, like left school, left college without basic skills like how to open a bank account, how to cook dinner, how to boil water, how to fix a car. And so there's the school in Portland, Oregon, the two women who are themselves hipsters, who have decided to share all of their worldly knowledge with the hipsters of Portland so that they can understand what it's like to be a grown-up. Ah, hipsters. What do we think of hipsters, hipsters. Emily? Um, I kind of go between being one and hating them, so I'm not really <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, you're Brooklyn-based, right? I'm actually Chicago-based right now, but oh, I do okay. go back and forth to New York City. Oh, <laughs> all right. Are there hipsters in Chicago? Is that a thing that exists there? We actually do have hipsters in Chicago. We are the ironic facial hair capital of the country. We have lovely mustaches. So they so they wear they wear tight jeans, but they also love the Cubs and Polish sausage, I assume. Yes, and also cheap beer. We're we're a big cheap beer town. Nice. All right, cool. Oh, let's get back to one of your pieces on Heat Street. Um I actually tried to get my I shouldn't say try to get pardon me my girlfriend tried to get me to watch Gilmore Girls maybe earlier in the week and I said sure and apparently that was the wrong answer we ended up watching Spartacus instead Um, it's a trap Uh, but uh, tell me about Gilmore Girls having a white feminism problem this on heatstreet.com so Gilmore Girls is always been sort of the quintessential feminist show. It's about two women who are making their way in the world, Um, a mother who had her daughter Rory at age 16 and then went on to raise her in a little town in New England. It's very cute, very nice, and I think if you grew up like I did in the 90s and the 2000s, you're a huge fan of the show. Watch it with my mom and that kind of stuff. Wait, were you a Dawson's Creek Um, person too? Did you just, were you just waiting for Pacey to find, yeah. People told me I looked like Pacey (laughs) in high school, side note. I actually never watched Dawson's Creek. I'm a weirdo. What? Did you watch 90210? I, I never did. I did watch 90210, yeah. Okay. Oh, now we're friends again. Sorry, continue with Gilmore okay. Girls and right. its white as feminism problem. Um, so, yeah. So Gilmore Girls has always been kind of this quintessential feminist show. And it returned just a couple of weeks ago. And apparently it hasn't followed feminism forward. So... Feminists are now angry because Gilmore Girls just features a bunch of white people who have white privilege and they don't understand the plight of minorities and how terrible the world is. And the show itself did not incorporate Black Lives Matter. So uh, we're just going to throw it all out the window because it's terrible and everything is terrible. Oh, 
Everything is terrible. The opposite of the Lego movie, everything is awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. well, tell me about Victoria's Secret and its, quote, racist lingerie. I mean, is this like uh, a, a Klansman hoodie, but, you know, really fitted? I mean, I don't understand. How, how, can, it be, how can there be right, racist you know, like, lingerie? I didn't see the piece. I just Klansman saw the headline. So you got to tell me. <laughs> Well, it won't air for another week, so but it did it did take place this past Wednesday, I believe. And the opening number for the Victoria's Secret fashion show was a catwalk around the world. So they incorporated various cultures and hand woven fabrics and all It sounds so multicultural. I'm looking at I'm looking at the piece right now. I'm looking yeah. for something racist. Native crafts into their bras and panties, and all of a sudden, Cosmopolitan exploded because if you even borrow a little bit from these other cultures just to, you know, have a really beautiful show, you are clearly racist. You're exerting your white privilege, and uh, you should be shut down. And so, uh, this writer on Cosmopolitan basically said that. Victoria's Secret is a capitalist hegemon and is trying to destroy third world countries. It doesn't um, make sense. I know it doesn't make sense. <laughs> interesting. I, I'm looking for the racist stuff here, and all I'm seeing are lots of scantily clad models. I mean, this is the tough part of doing my job, is the due diligence oh, of yeah. looking at this Heat Street piece. Uh, but I do not see any racism here, so I think we can we can move on to the next Heat Street piece, although that one may be bookmarked. Uh, bookmarked. Mark Wahlberg says celebrities should shut up about politics. Ooh, sometimes Mark Wal- mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg really sort of gets it right for America. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg, who grew up in uh, Philadelphia, he's kind of a had a hard life growing up, and he says he, that he, he did he did punch somebody in, and blind him in the eye, but he felt very bad about it. And I think he gave the family a lot of money, and he grew up in Boston, right? Yeah, and it was a um, a very public thing when he converted to Christianity. Later on in his life, he had a priest who said, you need to maybe think about making reparations for the things that you've done in the past. And he really did try to turn his life around. But um, The guy forgave him, says, but yeah. Yeah, and um, when he says that celebrities don't really understand what it's like to grow up poor, they don't understand what it's like to be poor and be working class in America. And so when they talk about politics, they're not really connecting with the people who buy the tickets to their movies and to the CDs for their concerts. And so he basically said, you know, celebrities need to stop talking about politics, stop trying to tell people what to think and go back to doing movies and music and, and what makes them famous. And so it was a really kind of a refreshing thing from uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. There we go, Mark Wahlberg. I, he also was good on this set of, uh, or, or, or when he was doing some press for non-American Sniper for uh, uh, Lone Survivor. And he said that these actors that do like a week of military training so they don't look like complete clowns on on camera need to stop thinking that like they're ready to go take ISIS on themselves. Big difference. Right. (laughs) And that's what he was saying, too, about his new movie, which is called, uh, I believe, Patriot Day. And it's about the first responders who worked in the aftermath of the Boston Marathon bombing. And he was like, terrorism is a scary thing. And people live with it every day in major cities and Hollywood just has no idea what it's really like to have this kind of threat on your life. 
Indeed. Um, let's also take a look here at, uh, we got so many to choose from. Heat Street, you guys have a lot of interesting stuff on this website, by the way, <laughs> if, if I may say week. so. It's been a good week. Yeah, well, it's been a good you. week on the Heat Street. Uh, Virginia School District bans to kill a mockingbird and Huck Finn over, ooh, let me guess, racial slurs. Intolerance. Yeah, it was not inclusive. In fact, uh, the, the parents said that she wanted these two classics banned because not because she felt uncomfortable with the racial slurs not because uh you know it affected her in any personal way but because she felt that the two works were not inclusive of all of the students in the school district and so she said that she wanted parents and teachers to come together to find a more tolerant curriculum for their uh, high school age students because high school age students simply cannot tolerate classic novels <sighs> not allowed to do Peter Pan anymore. Yeah, not not allowed to wear uh, native costumes of any kind for Halloween. What what fun is left to us, Emily? What is the world coming to? You can't even wear violent costumes. We did a story a couple of months ago for Halloween that said that people progressives didn't want people on campus wearing violent Halloween costumes like zombies and you know dead prom queens because it encouraged violence and we just can't encourage Wait, zo- it encourages vi- zombies encourage violence now i didn't even i didn't hear this one apparently apparently the undead are big marketers of violence <laughs> wow i mean I, I guess if there was a zombie apocalypse you know it, it, it's there's a there's a side of me that feels like we should at least be prepared for it and, and know that you got to shoot them in the head but i guess in the right. meantime people say that that's violence what, what are you working on or what should we uh, what can we go to look at for f- mer- uh, sorry, I, I, it's got, speaking English is important when you're a radio host. What can we look for on Heat Street that we haven't already hit, or what are you working on? Well, now I'm on the uh, sort of the war on Christmas beat, so I'm working on uh, school districts that are banning Santas, which should hit the uh, site today, and then also feminists are rewriting some of our classic Christmas songs to make them more feminist and less rape culturey. So that certainly will be. Uh, We'll be on the hopper this week. Wait, is that like is like mommy kissing Santa Claus? One of the like, what's the rape culture songs from Christmas? That's crazy. Um, yes, mommy kissing Santa. Claus. That's one. Okay, um, yeah. Baby, it's cold outside. Ah, what's what's the problem with baby? It's cold outside. Well, apparently, it's about a man trying to get a woman to stay a little bit longer, and clearly, that's sexual assault. So they're ah. now rewriting it to become a consent anthem to teach people about how to ask for consent before asking your date to stay a little bit later if it's cold outside. Ah, okay. Well, Emily, you stay on that War on Christmas beat, and you come back and let us know what you find, all right? Will do. Emily Zanotti is a writer at Heat Street. You can follow her on Twitter at E.M. Zanotti, political editor. Emily, great to have you. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for having me. Uh, team, the phone lines are open. We've even got some spaces if you want to call in. We've got some on hold. We've got some room for some more. It's a crazy party in the Freedom Hut. 888-900-3393. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Kevin in Arizona, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Uh, welcome to uh, Phoenix, the Phoenix desk. 
hey, man, I got a movie quote for you. But I also, if you let me, I'd like to comment on what your Navy still said. But let's, let's do the movie quote first. So the challenge for you is not a particular movie, but you got to tell us what Schwarzenegger movie this is not in. <laughs> so. I mean, dude. <laughs> I don't Which one is that not in? I don't know. You stumped me, buddy. Yes, yes. Uh, can I comment on the what the, the Navy SEAL uh, said about... Uh, oh, wait, so Maddie? there's no answer? This was a trick question? That's a trick question every movie. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. So, uh, I don't yeah. know. We're, we're going to get the gong out on you for that one, Kevin. But what, what, do, you uh, have about, what do you have about Brandon Webb? Uh, look... Uh, Brandon's uh, like my brother, so be nice. No, I am going to be nice. But uh, I'm, I'm a former... I, I, have, I was not a SEAL. I was an uh, Army captain infantry and did a little work in MI. I think Mattis is a great choice, and I'll say for this reason, he's a killer. I'm sick of these politician generals who have taken a, a, a really a ruling strategy. And you know what Webb said about uh, him not being soft? Uh, I think that's great. I think we have become too enamored with special forces and UAVs, uh, all this indirect killing. Look, they do great work, but you know, it's no accident that the last decisive victory we had in this country was World War II. I think if you're going to win a war, you don't hold back. You send the ground troops, you send the artillery, the tanks, the planes, everything. But you're not going to win with just SF. And I'm glad we have someone, at least I hope, who is really uh, focused, at least I think, or maybe in a conventional mindset. All right. Uh, where do you, uh, who'd you serve with again, Kevin? Army. Uh, second ID. And I did, uh, I went, I volunteered for the war in 2003 and they sent me. And I was an infantry captain working MI, so that was a hell of an experience. <laughs> I bet it was. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your service, sir, and uh, and thank you for your call from Arizona. Shields high. Uh, Abel in Ohio, what's up, buddy? Hey, I got a movie quote for you. All right. Uh, we're all shot up. Can you fight? We're all shot up. Can you fight? That's the whole quote? Can you give me one more yeah. line? No, I... I uh, dude, I'm all shot up would be the line before it. Dude, I'm all shot up. Is that? Oh man, I don't. Is that Lone Survivor? No. Yeah, that's Lone Survivor. Yeah. It is. Wow, look at me. All right, thank you. All right. Well, that, that was a fair a fair quote to throw out there, and a buck on the fly managed to make it. I'm telling you, man, action movie quotes. Bring it. Uh, what else is on your mind, oh, Abel? You're the king. Oh, I just love the show. Thank you. Would you do me a favor? Would you would you send it to like two or three buddies over the next week? Be like, hey, I've got a Christmas present for you—a free podcast that you can download every day. <laughs> yeah, sure. You're the man, dude. Shields high, Abel. Thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate it. Good to talk to you. I would I would like to note that so far, two for two on the action movie quotes. Two for two. Somebody, y'all better bring it. See what you got. Except for the guy, I don't know what he was talking about. I guess that was like a Schwarzenegger laugh impression, which is fine and all. But you know, we're looking for real movie quotes here. We're looking for like the best, the best of the best. And interesting, we've gone with Schwarzenegger. There's a lot of options, folks. I mean, you could throw out, uh, you could throw out some Bruce Willis. Uh, you could even go Dolph Lundgren on me for some of his his best films. Definitely Steven Seagal is uh, is an is an option for some of the uh, the better movie quotes out there. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else would tie. Who else? What other like great action figures am I leaving? I don't consider. I know people say Charles Bronson. I just, I just can't get excited about a guy who like I don't know. 
But looks like looks like he would be cutting cutting the salami at the corner deli to me. Like he just doesn't strike me yeah. as an action star. No, he's not great. What about Van Damme? Have you seen? Oh, all of Van! Those? Oh my gosh, I've seen all the. I mean, if I think I could probably do a one man show of Bloodsport without any help. Let's. I think I could just do the whole movie by myself. Like I could, I could do the lines. I could act it out. I know all the fight sequences. I've seen that movie so many times that it is it is seared into my brain. Um, and and then of course there's that whole Frank Dukes. Like there's the people that say he's a hoax. And there's a, the videos online that say that he's the real like he's the real deal. And you know I don't I don't get into that martial arts you know back and forth stuff i don't know what the situation is there but uh, blood sport great great cheesy action movie it was made for like ten dollars too we'll be back in a few you're listening to buck sexton on the blaze radio network Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. It is time for a Buck Brief. You are entering the Blaze Threat Ops Center. This is a secure space. All outside comms are down. Prepare to receive the bug brief. In the dark days immediately following 9-11, the Central Intelligence Agency turned to Dr. James Mitchell to help craft an interrogation program designed to elicit intelligence from top al-Qaeda leaders and terror suspects who had just been taken off the field of battle. A civilian contractor who had spent years training U.S. military members to resist interrogation should they be captured. Mitchell, aware of the urgent need to prevent impending catastrophe, uh, catastrophic attacks, worked with the CIA to implement enhanced interrogation techniques, which included waterboarding. We are now joined by Dr. James Mitchell, the author of Enhanced Interrogation, Inside the Minds and Motives of the Islamic Terrorists Trying to Destroy America. Dr. Mitchell, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, so I, I don't know if you know this or not. I was actually a CIA CTC analyst, so uh, a lot of this you know, is near and dear to my, my heart, this debate, this discussion in a lot of ways. I wanted to first ask you about some of the, I think, some of the parts of your book that have gotten the most attention, at least from those who are, who are willing to actually read the book and, and get into the information and the message, is what it was like to go eye to eye with terrorists like KSM, uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, uh, Abu Zubaydah, some of the worst of the worst of Al Qaeda. What was that like for you? Well, it was an emotional roller coaster, as you know from working in the agency. There's moments of crisis, and we're struggling because we have credible evidence that there was uh, credible intelligence that they're trying to pull off another catastrophic attack, maybe involving some kind of a nuclear weapon. Here he is. He's got the information. He doesn't want to give it up, and we're struggling to get it out of him. So in the beginning, it's you know, like I said, it's an emotional roller coaster. There's ups and downs, and it's difficult. I- One of the passages of your of your book uh, that that I read was about how KSM said that he was surprised at the U.S.'s response. That he was expecting a sort of uh, law enforcement approach, and and it's, and in essence, he was expecting the U.S. to just take this take nine eleven on the chin and 
and not do too much in response. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Well, Dr. Jessen, my, the other, the other uh, uh, interrogator that was doing it, we were asking him, what were you thinking? Because, you know, it seemed like an incredibly uh, stupid thing to do. And he said, well, frankly, I, I, didn't, I didn't think the towers would collapse. He said that we had tried to decapitate your government. We wanted to hit your center of military and, uh, leadership. We wanted to hit your center of, of uh, political leadership in the Capitol, and we wanted to hit your center of finance. But we didn't believe those towers would come down. And what we fully expected is that President Bush would do what other presidents have done, you know, fire a few missiles or treat it like a law enforcement issue, and they would have time because the Taliban wouldn't uh, extradite them to get off the second wave attacks, the, the, uh, the attack, the other catastrophic attacks they had planned with aircraft for Los Angeles and Seattle. And he said, he, he looked at us and he goes, how was I supposed to know that cowboy George Bush would, la- would say he wanted us dead or alive and launch this vicious, ferocious attack? He seemed befuddled by it. So there were, I think this is something that the public has lost sight of now when we talk about terrorism and the response to to 9-11 and the and the war on terrorism i know we, people won't even call it that these days but there were other plots i mean you were told by the people creating these plots constructing them there were other major plots against the u.s homeland that were in motion even after 9-11 but he had people on the ground inside the united states he, uh, he, he had a group of uh, Thuhambali, who was the bali bomber who uh he, he had people in Australia training to fly aircraft into buildings, just like the ones that had just happened. He had a number of catastrophic attacks planned, and uh, like t- attacks often do, as we rolled those people up, they fell like dominoes. And now the people who are feeling safe on our side, the ones who really don't like to see the way the sausage is made, are trying to distance themselves by saying this huge catastrophic attack he had planned wasn't really as bad as it as it sounds, but. He fully intended to crash planes into the library tower, a library building in Los Angeles, into a bank building in Seattle, and into the Sears Tower in uh, Chicago. Now, I know there's also a sequence in the book where you discuss with uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed his uh, personal beheading of Wall Street Journal reporter Daniel Pearl, and he didn't, didn't bat an eye when talking about it, seemed proud of it. Uh, were there multiple instances when you were dealing with these high-level al-Qaeda detainees uh, in this enhanced interrogation program where you felt like you would just come across uh, somebody who had, who had chosen evil or, or who was an evil human being? Well, the way I would characterize him is he's really a comic book superhero. I mean, supervillain. He's a comic book supervillain. He's, he, he can be the devil and he can be a diva. And, and what happened is he just preened and bragged and uh, stood up and showed us what he had done. And when my uh, the other interrogator asked him, was it different? Was it difficult for you? Meaning, was it emotionally challenging? He said, oh, no, I had sharp knives. It was just like slaughtering sheep. It, it, the man should be executed. Uh, and I have to ask you also, when people start to uh, talk about this issue. There's a lot of emotion in it. The, the debate over enhanced interrogation. People say, people want to call it torture. They say it's tantamount to torture, and then they just started saying it is torture. What's your as, as the person who devised this program was involved in waterboarding directly? What is your response to those who say waterboarding is torture? 
Well, the media and almost everybody else seems obsessed with waterboarding. You know, I waterboarded almost as many lawyers, including an assistant attorney general, when they were trying to decide whether or not it was torture, who then decided it wasn't, uh, as I did a terrorist. More importantly, if under common sense, if it had been torture, then Senator Feinstein and Senator McCain wouldn't have had to pass a law in 2015 outlawing it. And more than that, uh, Obama, uh, Obama's uh, Department of Justice, Eric Holder, his, his attorney general, stacked the Department of Justice with lawyers who were sympathetic to the detainees, many of whom defended them in court, uh, and, and then ordered a specific investigation to determine whether or not they had been tortured. Uh, they had a professional prosecutor with a grand jury, they looked at it for three years, and he came back and said there were no cases. Well, I mean, I just have so to say, mind, you know, they weren't tortured. From from when I was in the agency, if I was told, you know, uh, if I was told, Buck, we want you to understand what the, you know, what you could face with the enemy. We want you, with, with, we want you to know if you can withstand torture or not. So we're going to uh, we're going to attach electrodes all over your body and electrocute you at different levels. I, I would say no. Or there's there's no way I would sign on for that. If they said we were going to pull out your fingernails, I would say no. There's no way I'd sign on for that. You're telling me that people of their own volition in the U.S. government, not even just in Sears School, which is well established, but other government figures, lawyers, were waterboarded. Specifically to determine whether or not it was torture. It's more than just an interest in it. It was a specific effort to determine whether or not it broke uh, a U.S. law, constitutional law, or our, uh, our uh, treaty obligations. And more than that, I would say this as well. Far more journalists have been waterboarded, albeit not like the way we did, because some of the things I've seen journalists do are more horrific than what we did, not lighter or easier. But more journalists have been waterboarded than d- detainees. Only the waterboarding was not the first or best option, and it wasn't our go-to thing. Only three detainees were waterboarded out of the hundred or so they had. Now, uh, I, I, I got to ask, who are all these FBI? It seems to be FBI guys who go on TV, and all they, they love to say that EITs. Well, first of all, those, a lot of them will say it's torture, but also they don't work. This this is the story you hear from people, particularly on the left and a lot of prominent Democrats. It doesn't work. Uh, and, and they've had people from the FBI come out and say, all you need to do is build rapport. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, I, I can understand why they do that. Right? They, have their, uh, you know, they have a vested interest in doing that, particularly the one FBI agent who's been crowing for the last 15 years about how he got all that information when he really didn't. Uh, but I, what I would say to that is, uh, what I would say to that is they're just flat wrong. You know, <laughs> if you get a, uh, if you have credible intelligence of a catastrophic attack, you've got a person who has the information you need to stop the attack. There's a sense of time urgency. That person doesn't want to give it up, and they're skilled. What are you going to do? You know, tea and biscuits isn't going to make it. It just isn't. And and here's the other thing I would say in direct response to your question: with KSM, they tied. Uh, sympathy and tea and, and uh, respectful talk for two days before he was sent to the black site. And we tried again when he got there to, to question him in a neutral way. And with respect to uh, uh, Abu Zubaydah, the FBI was with him for three months. 
And the CIA was unhappy with the responses that they got from him. Which, and if you read my book, you'll see that some of the things the FBI did actually shut him down. And on my view, hastened the need to use harsh measures against him. If it had been working, they would they wouldn't have changed it. The CIA doesn't care where they get information. They have no vested interest in in waterboarding or using enhanced interrogations. They would much prefer they volunteer it. And if they I'm had been willing to volunteer it on rapport, it, the the program would have never existed. I'm speaking to Dr. James Mitchell, author of Enhanced Interrogation: Inside the Minds and Motives of the Islamic Terrorists Trying to Destroy America. Uh, Dr. Mitchell. Uh, the information that was gathered from this program, from the program you were involved in that you devised, did it save U.S. lives? Of course it saved U.S. lives, but my opinion is probably less important than the CIA's opinion. What the CIA said is that information obtained from the detainees after being exposed to enhanced interrogation techniques helped capture terrorists who were still on the run, helped fill in blanks about what they knew about the terrorist organizations that were attacking us, stopped additional catastrophic attacks and saved lives, both in America and in other countries like England. Well, there you have it on the record. And also, there was the, uh, what was, Hard Measures. Uh, have, you, have you seen that memoir? He, he was very, uh, very, def, you know, def, willing to defend the Enhanced Interrogation Program, the director of the Counterterrorism Center, uh, former director of the Counterterrorism Center. So there are, there are others out there. But now, now you get this storyline, Dr. Mitchell, that uh, that this is all lies to justify what happened. And uh, the, the people have been playing some pretty, some pretty dirty games with this, including, uh, as I understand it, you believe that Senate Democrat staffers leaked your name to the media. Well, that's exactly what happened. If, uh, in the book, I start out with that happening. You know, I'm minding my own business, and I get a phone call immediately after the uh, Feinstein report's been released by two journalists on separate calls telling me that on deep background, the Democrat staffers on that committee told them my name. And there'll be, and that's, it's amazing to see when, and I'm, I've been familiar with this myself, when the agency goes into freak out over that and when they go, well, you know, I guess the public has a right to know. Oh, the public has a right to know who was involved in among the most sensitive agency programs of the last 30 years. That's interesting. Yeah, I concur with what you have to say. I think I, here's what my, here's what I would urge your listeners to think about. The political correctness that we're experiencing now, the obsessive political correctness, men like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed would say is a weapon that Allah has provided in our culture, a flaw that makes us weak and allows them to operate in our midst unchallenged. And he actually at one point crowed about this to me. He said, the people will turn against you, your government will turn against you, the media will turn against you. Uh, and essentially that's what happened if donald trump i was actually asked this when uh, i was on cnn a week ago and they were talking to me about the new cia director and they said one of their big fears is that donald trump has said that he would reinstate waterboarding and therefore uh pompeo as director of cia or you know whomever within the ic i assume it would be on the agency side but who knows might bring it back uh assuming that there was uh, con- it was considered to be necessary to try to break up a plot. My response was, well, I just don't think that'll happen, not not as a, a uh, judgment on the morality or even the eff- efficacy of the program, but just because people realize that, well, if you're the one who does it, as you know better than anyone, uh, Dr. Mitchell, you may be the one left uh, hanging out to dry. 
That's true. Let me tell you what I would say to those people. Those people, because there are people in our government who say harsh interrogation techniques, skip waterboarding, because I never thought it was the first or best thing that we should do, right? But there are people in our government who say uh, harsh interrogation techniques, coercive force of any sort, should always be illegal. But if there's another catastrophic threat uh, of, uh, say, a nuclear device in, in a city, then we would expect our interrogators to do what it took and then stand up and, and, uh, and go on trial. And if they maybe save some lives, we could take that into account when we sentence them. My take on that is what they want to do is they want to live under the protection of the men and women who are willing to sacrifice themselves to save their lives, but they don't want to provide those men and women the protection of acting under the rule of law. So I, I concur with what you're going to say. In my book, I say, good luck with that, because if you, all you have to do is take a look at the way that Dr. Jessen and I have been persecuted for the last, well, over a decade to get a sense of how difficult it is to do the right thing and then have your government turn against you. Uh, Dr. Mitchell, I, I could talk to you about this all day, but I, I know we've got, we've got to let you go. Dr. Mitchell is the author of Enhanced Interrogation, Inside the Minds and Motives of the, of the Islamic Terrorists Trying to Destroy America. Dr. Mitchell, really appreciate your time and your service, sir. Thank you very much for calling in. Thank you, in. sir. Thank you very Let's close out the buck brief there. You are leaving a secure space. Cell phones may be turned on. Disavow all knowledge of this meeting. Remember to protect sources and methods. Maintain good OPSEC at all times. We'll be right back, team. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. We got some calls up. Uh, David in Arizona, another Arizona call. What's up, buddy? Hey, Buck. It's, it's uh, I can't believe I'm following uh, the the doctor there. I've I've followed those guys and honored them at least for me and what they did. Um, I mean, they've been so I don't know um, lambasted in in the media and everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I don't even get into it. His, he, he and his family received death threats. He's on an ISIS threat list. I mean, it's been terrible. Yeah, yeah. All right, here's my here's my movie quote for you. Okay, hard turn to a movie quote. Whoa. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, not bad for a poodle shooter and a makeshift silencer. Not bad for a poodle shooter and a makeshift silencer. You got me. What is it? Shooter. Uh, I've actually never seen that movie, so oh, I, I, I think I think we're stretching great action movies here. I'm not, I, I know this is uh, you know we could throw a flag on this one, but I don't know if Shooter with Mark, Mark Wahlberg qualifies as a great action movie. I'm just putting that out there, buddy. Um, I, I think if you watched it, you'd like it. Uh, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think we're I think we're you know, a little bit a little bit. I think we're stretching it just a tiny bit, but. David, you okay. got me on it. I'll give you that. And I appreciate you calling okay. in with an action movie quote. Uh, Shields high, my friend. Let's talk again soon. Give me a ring.
Yeah, Ty. What? You, uh, what? Ty, you're going to be my uh, no, my that, great that, movie ombudsman. No, not buying it. No shooter. No, it, it had to. It has to either be a cult classic that's been on basic cable a bunch of times or a blockbuster. That's neither. Yeah, I I can't I can't disagree with you on that. One. I've never seen Shooter, so I, I of course I'm not going to. I haven't seen every action movie. There's so if you go in the action movie section of a or you know if you go on Netflix, you, there's so many of them that you've never heard of and that are terrible. It's you know it's it's a genre that people feel like you can kind of enough guns explosions and you know a couple of attractive ladies and you've got yourself an action movie. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, team, we're going to talk about the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, which you've not spoken about before on the show. So stay with me. We're going to hit that in just a few minutes. The Bug Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, we're joined now by Nick Loris. He is an economist and energy expert at the Heritage Foundation. Nick, appreciate you joining. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. So we have not yet discussed on the program, and people have been yelling at me for a while now saying it's an oversight, and I agree. We, we have not yet discussed it, so this is the first time we're touching on the topic. The Dakota Access Pipeline. Can you just give us sort of a rundown of what is going on here? Yeah, sure. Well, this is a, a pipeline that... Uh, being constructed, um, and it's a nearly 1,200-mile-long pipeline that will deliver as many as 570,000 barrels of oil per day uh, from northwestern North Dakota uh, through South Dakota to Iowa uh, to connecting existing pipelines in Illinois. And right now there's uh, obviously a huge protest going on about um, the pipelines being close to a, a water intake system of the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation, uh, as well as it running pretty close uh, to um, sacred land that they have. So okay, so there's concerns over the over the water uh, water quality, or that this would somehow contaminate water. Are those concerns, in, in your estimation, well founded, or is this uh, sort of a hyperbolic uh, hysteria? Yeah, hyperbolic hysteria. Um, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely catering to the less environmental activist base of uh, we need to keep the oil in the ground. And one of their newer strategies of doing so is to obstruct the infrastructure development. We've seen that with Keystone XL, and we're seeing it here with the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, the water intake, for instance, this should be of no concern uh, as it sits you know, 92 feet below the riverbed um, with increased pipe thickness and control valves, uh, as well as sensor systems uh, that will detect um, if there's any type of anomalies in the flow of the oil. I mean, we're talking about state-of-the-art pipelines here that minimize the leaks, uh, not to mention just broadly speaking that pipelines are by far uh, the safest uh, and most environmentally effective way of transporting oil from point A to point B. My understanding is that this has also turned into one of these Occupy Wall Street-like uh, cultural moments where people are people are saying that this is it's sort of like Burning Man now, and there are all these individuals showing up, and they are playing guitars, and this is one of those things, too. It's not just a serious protest over environmental concerns, whether they're founded or not. Yeah, absolutely, because if they looked at the facts, there wouldn't be anything to protest. In fact, if you look at the, the country in and of itself, I mean, it's a spider web of pipelines. And, uh, you know, the companies, there's 
10 other fossil fuel pipelines crossing the Missouri River uh, upstream of the Standing Rock Reservation. And so this isn't anything new. It's just, again, it's part of this uh, cultish movement to uh, obstruct any type of fossil fuel development. We've seen it with coal, and we've certainly seen it with oil as well. And so the Army Corps did its job. It consulted with 55 Native American groups um, on, on multiple occasions. They've rerouted the pipeline 17 different times and found this was the most environmentally sensitive way of doing so. And yet this this um, protest has kind of taken a life of its own that you just mentioned. It's more about a popularity thing than any type of sensible resolution to allow the pipeline to move how forward, can which, a, how again, can is a, being built on private land. How can a pipeline that goes almost 100 feet under under the riverbed of a river, how can that disturb sacred ground? I mean, I'm pretty sure whatever Sioux tribe or whatever tribe, I'm not sure which one, was there beforehand, uh, couldn't get 100 feet below the riverbed, would be my guess. Yeah, that's right. And, and again, that's, it, it stands to reason. Again, we have pipelines nearby this one, and we have this one that was, again, not really of any meaningful um, protest, just kind of like Keystone was. I mean, Keystone was going through the approval process, and it was only until the environmental activist base made it an issue that it became an issue, and that's the case um, with this pipeline. And, um, you know, again, they examined all different types of routes and um, acquiesced to some of the concerns that were raised. Uh, and so the Army Corps worked with Energy Transfer, the company building this pipeline, to ensure that this was the safest and most environmentally effective way so, to do so. So they've already been yeah, bending over backwards. They've rerouted the pipeline a bunch of times. But is this just about now? At this, this is sort of the – this would be the end. I mean, this would be the final piece of it, right? So is, is there correct. sort of an, yeah, an I mean, added urgency? It's like, well, if they can stop it here, they can stop the whole pipeline. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's more than halfway built. And again, I think it speaks to this keep it in the ground movement. And uh, the reasons they didn't pursue a northern route, which is what some of the activists are, are claiming, which they should have done, is it would have affected an additional 165 acres of land, 48 extra miles of previously undisturbed field areas, and an additional 33 water bodies. So it's not that the Army Corps takes these uh, siting requirements lightly. In fact, just the opposite. And you know, there's no you know reason the Obama administration's own Army Corps of Engineer uh, would be insensitive to the concerns of Native American tribes or you know environmental considerations. What uh, what tools is the government willing to use now? My, I mean, my understanding is that the the weather is probably going to be the biggest impediment or the, or the biggest obstacle for the protesters to continue what they're doing. It's going to get really cold out there. Um, but is the government considering or could the government take some kind of action to remove these protesters or would that just be too sensitive? They don't want to do it. They don't want the bad publicity. Yeah, I think uh, the latter is what I would say. And maybe, you know, hoping to, to wait this storm out until the cold, you know, largely takes care of it. Uh, I do think there's, you know, consideration that, if they do anything too drastic, um, it will just create more sensationalist attitude around this issue. And so uh, they seem to be content just standing their ground. And We just lost our caller. What happened? Where'd he go? Come back. Nick. Nick Loris from Heritage Foundation. It's like, it's like he's calling us from 100 feet under the riverbed. Is he in the pipeline? What happened? Where'd he go? Just disappeared on us. So what happens, man? You mess with the Native American burial grounds, crazy stuff. All of a sudden, your phone just cuts out. I don't even know. We might have to. We might have to send out a search party for Nick Loris from Heritage because 
those Native American. I guess they don't do curses, right? That's like a that's more of a, a voodoo specific thing. I don't. I'm I'm, I'm getting out, I'm getting off my area of expertise here. He's back, Nick. We lost you there. We just let you finish up uh, whatever you were saying. Uh, where where were we, sir? The, the government That's getting rid question. of them. It looks I'm, bad, so they're not going to get rid of them. So does that mean the pipeline yeah. doesn't get finished, or what happens here? Oh, I do think the pipeline will get finished. I, I mean, I, the pipeline has the courts on its side and, and a new uh, president-elect who seems very intent on uh, ensuring that uh, we maintain the rule of law and uh, establishing a infrastructure process that um, goes to the proper environmental review and permitting process, but is allowed completion. And again, it, this pipeline is built on entire private property, and the company got voluntary easements from all of those landowners. So those concerns should be completely assuaged by uh, just sound science and logical environmental reason. But again, that's not what the environmental activist base, you know, goes by. And and so this ends how? Where do you see this going? Well, that's a good question. I think there's, you know, the Army Corps, um, I think, will make a issue and a final easement across the Missouri River. Um, and I think you know, that the administration, the next administration, will make sure that this is seen through um, to completion. Um, it, it's taking a little longer than it necessarily should, as has Keystone XL. But I do think you know, these pipelines will ultimately be completed, just not in the time frame that they should have been. You know, do they do they buy off the environmentalists by donating to uh, you know the Sierra Found or Sierra Club or something? I mean, I, what are, what are the they just wait yeah, them I out? I mean, the, the, the cost to. overruns uh, yeah, must mean, be huge. Yeah, I mean that's a good question. You know, I I think the time delays are, are costing them money. I can't imagine them buying them off, especially because you know they're going to get the proper permits they need to. Uh, so I don't think that will necessarily be a step in this process. Um, I don't know if they'll make any additional. Um, you know, rerouting to um, try and reach some agreement with the Army Corps and the um, and wh- why tribes, are but, Roy, Reuters is reporting that there are two thousand uh, vets, two thousand U.S. military veterans are planning to form a human shield to protect the protesters. Is this what? What's that all about? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually hadn't seen that, and again, I think it speaks to the sensationalism of this issue is that I don't think people necessarily even understand what they are defending anymore. Um, And because there has been so much misinformation uh, given this pipeline, you know, the facts are just taken away from this story. And and now you are having all these groups unite around something that, uh, again, could be, you know, logically done and done with. Yeah, I mean, you've got U.S. Representative Tulsi Gabbard, who's a Democrat from Hawaii, and she was a major she is a major in the Hawaii Army National Guard. She said she's joining the protesters. Why? Yeah, uh, again, it's this anti-fossil fuel development movement uh, that I don't think. So this is like opposition to Keystone. They're they're throwing like they're throwing an anti-fossil fuel party. Period. That's pretty much yeah, what this absolutely. is. Absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you remember Keystone wasn't as I mentioned earlier. It wasn't an issue until um, Bill McKibben and his environmental group made it one. I mean, we already have a Keystone pipeline that comes from Canada down into the United States when President Bush approved it uh, through his State Department, uh, and no one even batted an eye. And when um, Secretary Clinton was uh, Secretary of State and she was asked about this, uh, she said, we're inclined to uh, move the pipeline forward because it wasn't an issue yet. And so it's about catering to this environmental activist movement and that you know they are a well uh, oiled machine um, even though they don't like oil you know that's how they operate and they they are stand to obstruct 
in any way they can um, fossil fuel development. All right. Nick Loris, uh, economist and expert in energy at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Nick, do you have a Twitter handle you want to share? Uh, I do. It's at an economist, Loris. Uh, write frequently on the Daily Signal Heritage's uh, sister site. Uh, please check it out. Absolutely. Nick, really appreciate you joining us. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Uh, let's take some calls. Jared in Tennessee. What's up? Shields high. Uh, hey. Shields high. Up and Todd. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm all right, sir. Looking forward to a weekend, which is going to start here pretty soon. Indeed, indeed. So um, just a couple quick things. First of all, a uh, piece of advice on the, on the migraines. This is something that my wife actually found doing a little online research. Is sometimes your migraines can be caused by tension that you hold in the body. And um, as strange as it may sound, it actually works. We've done it. If you've got somebody that, you can, uh, that you've got this kind of relationship with, have them massage your buttocks. As, as strange as that sounds, that, that So you're telling me that uh, of, for medical necessity, I need to find a butt massage. Okay, yep. I'll take it. Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, so i um, also got a couple of movie quotes to throw at you. First one is uh, the, the, the franchise, at least, is uh, fairly successful, so I figure uh, it's worth throwing at you. And the quote is this. It's Okay. I'm a cop. I don't think he gives a word for excrement. Uh, it's okay. I'm a cop. Uh, nah. I mean, I, I Die Hard? No. 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 What is it? Predator Two. Ah, uh, I mean, we're stretching, guys. We're no, Predator no. One is a great movie. Predator Two, I don't know. This is like Sniper Two. Like, it's just not the. Uh, but I mean, I mean, come that's on. A, that's a little obscure. Look, I mean, you know, you you, you got me, but like, I, I need someone to get me with one that's a little more substance than that. You know what I mean? But it's all right. It's, it's a fair shot. Look, next Friday we're going to do action movie quotes again. And uh, we'll have, you know, right. throw another one my way. But Shields High, thank you for the uh, the advice about the butt massage. I need to go stand out on the street, apparently, with a sign that says, in need of... <laughs> Actually, no. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, where were we? Darby in Texas. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. Hey, buddy. Just got one for you here. Since I'm kind of batting clean up, I hopefully I can get you. You ready? Yes, sir. Shields High, what's up? Okay, you people sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. Jack Burton, Big Trouble in Little China, oh, one of the best, it. one of the best action movie quotes of all time. I thought I would get you with that one, man. I was a, oh, that's a great one though, dude. I love that one. I'm glad you brought that one up, dude. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a particular Jack Burton fan. I kind of want to be Jack Burton for Halloween. So there you go, <laughs> Darby in Texas, man. Shields high. Great to talk to you. Have a fantastic weekend, uh, team. We got to hit a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I got a hat tip, Ty, for bringing us my attention. All right, Ty, so we're going to talk about this. Let me read some of the lyrics from Baby, It's Cold Outside. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go away. Baby, it's cold outside. Uh, he goes on, and he goes, My mother will start to worry 
Beautiful, what's your hurry? And my father will be pacing the floor. Just listen to that fireplace roar. Now, really, I'd better scurry. Sweetheart, what's your hurry? Well, maybe just a half a drink more. Why don't you put on some records while I pour? Say, what's in this drink? No cabs to be had out there. <laughs> okay, this is, there's, it's, it's actually a little, it's a little creepy. It is, it's, it's more than a little bit. It is, <laughs> if, if, there was a, if there was a music video of this playing out in, in modern times, it would look like a brutal rape. This is the rapiest song in the history well, of the world. I mean, I mean, they're not, they're not, you know, they don't actually get to the point of, of actual touching or anything. No, but no, it, no. It but is, he, is, uh, set, he is setting up a situation like it's too cold outside. There's no cabs. What's in this drink? Drink a little more. It's a right. little weird. It, it's at least Bill Cosby-esque. Oh, man. You're going Cosby-esque on Baby It's Cold Outside? Yes. Uh, there, are a lot of so- there are a lot of songs. I mean, I, I'm not even going to go into lyrics, but you know that song... Um, uh, what is it? Uh, girl, I'm going to make you sweat. Sweat till you can't sweat. No, you know what I yes, mean? Like yes, that, yes, yes. Yeah, that one is also really... They used to play that at school dances when I was a, a, a youngin. And that yes. one was, you know, yes, was the, messed up. There, All right. In music, there's just a tremendous amount of rape-ish songs. Well, let's just say there's a lot, there's a lot of implied sensuality. We'll send people on the weekend with that. Ty, thank you, sir. Everybody, uh, so glad to be back with you today. I will be here Monday uh, and all of next week, of course, from the Freedom Hunt, as per usual. Download the show. Share it, please. Be the best thing you could do. Early Christmas present. Until then, Shields High. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.